All right, well, go ahead and turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of John. Book of John is where we will be this morning. Glad to see everyone's made it out to the morning service, and I uh, hope that you are ready to hear from God's Word. One of the things that is very important uh, to Fellowship Baptist Church, and really to, uh, hopefully to anyone, is that you will hear this morning from the Word of God. Um, it's, uh, you know, people share opinions, they do it a lot, seems like we hear more, because of social media, we hear people's opinions more and more and more, and uh, you know, what a blessing. And, um, but the most important thing we can get is that we get to actually hear hear from God's Word and know what God says. We're not hearing from a denominational creed. We're not hearing from just a, a man. What I'm going to be doing is we'll be looking at exactly what God's Word says. And uh, because uh, what else is going to help us? Uh, God is not, when we stand before Him one day, questions that are not going to be asked us based on our, again, a denominational creed or based on what you think or what your opinion is. Um, he is going to, uh, we are going to be judged according to what God has written written down in his Bible. And so that's why it is so important to us that, uh, uh, that we look into his word and that you have, you could even hear why, as we sit here that uh, I will tell you where I am in the scriptures so that you're able to follow along in your Bible so that you can see exactly in your copy of the scriptures what God has said to each one of us uh, here today. So, uh, so I travel a lot. Several of you during the fishing, or during the, the fishing time, the, um, uh, the uh, fellowship time uh, that uh, some of you asked about how um, our trailer was and I appreciate that uh, about the issues. Some of you have RVs and such and and uh, so we've got a hydraulic line that's got this little leak in it, so the slides are slipping out while we're going down the interstate. Uh, we had um, the bolts on the um, the bolts on the that hold the springs to the frame. You know that like important piece. They just both blew out on the same both sides, the same axle. No reason, I don't think. And uh, so we got, but we got some temporary ones in there, so we can uh, we got here. Um, you know, we had a panel just fly off while we were coming here. You know, just uh, some weird things like that. And uh, you know, when we're on the road, uh, one of the things my, my mom would always uh, kind of pick on me she, because I'm no good at directions, okay? Uh, I am, uh, I'm terrible with directions. Uh, if we pull into a, uh, uh, you know, a, a fuel stop, a truck stop, which we do very often uh, as we're traveling from church to church and place to place, uh, whenever we pull in, I always ask my wife the same question as we pull out. Which way did we come in? Because I have no idea. I really don't know. And, uh, and so my mom would kind of pick on me and say, you're going to be an evangelist one day. You're going to be traveling all over the place. How in the world are you ever going to get from one place to another? You don't know where you are, where you've been. And uh, now today I can just go, <laughs> iPhone, you know. And I've got, uh, you know, put the GPS on there in about a moment of time. Uh, it really just a few seconds. Uh, you know, the, uh, the Google Maps app can tell me how to get across the continent. And so that's kind of nice. And, uh, and so, but still, you you know, occasionally, you know, you have to be careful uh, that you get the right directions. One thing that's important is um, coming out west. You know, I've been on a lot of the highways and the interstates uh, in the Midwest and out east, of course, a little bit in the northeast, definitely in the south and in the Midwest. And um, uh, one of the things I did was I called a friend of mine. I'm going to see him next week in uh, the church I'm going to be preaching at in eastern Washington. And uh, he has an RV, and uh, he travels all over the west. They go out east, and he knows 
the roads. One thing I did was I checked with them because, you know, coming across some of the mountains there in, uh, you know, Idaho, especially in Wyoming, and uh, we weren't going to be going through Colorado, but if you're going through there, you got to be careful with a trailer um, because, you know, there are those different passes that were not really made for vehicles like mine to be going up there and making the turns and such that they do. And so uh, you got to be careful and make sure that you have correct directions uh, for where you're going. Um, I remember hearing, I don't remember how long ago it was, but there was a missionary and he told a story about, uh, about, he was a missionary to the country of Romania, taking the gospel to the country of Romania. And he said that one of the things with the Romanians, he said, is that um, they consider, if you were to ask a Romanian a question, okay, they consider it a sign of weakness if they don't know the answer. Now, in America, if we don't know the answer, we're almost proud of the fact that, no, I'm stupid. You know, I just don't know. That's kind of how we are in America. But in Romania, they're, uh, they're a little bit, um, I don't know, farther along than we are. And uh, they are actually really embarrassed if they don't know the answer to a question. Well, instead of just saying, oh, I'm so sorry, I don't know, or something like that, you ask a Romanian a question, and they will give you an answer. So it might, it might not be the right one, but they will give you an answer, which the missionary said got him in trouble when he stopped to ask for directions. So he says, you know, hey, you know, so-and-so, do you know, uh, I need directions. I'm not sure where I am. Can I get directions to such and such place? Do you know how to get there? Well, the Romanian had no idea how to get there, but he gave him directions. And so he said, you just, uh, you know, you follow whatever street, you go down to the whatever and turn the, at the wherever. And uh, the missionary made sure he either wrote it down or made note in his mind. He followed the directions and he got to, he didn't even know where. Because this guy had given him wrong directions. Can I tell you something, friend? You know what is really scary? Is that there are churches in the United States and across the world where they will claim that they can give you directions to heaven when they actually have no clue. And there are people out there in this world and even maybe in your life that will say, I know how you can get to know God. I know how you can know that you have eternal life. Here's the way uh, that, you can, uh, that you can get to heaven and, and have a relationship with God. And they'll give you directions but they have no idea what they're talking about. And folks, you know that's really sad? It's really sad that there are people out there who would do that. Some of them are gonna stand in churches today and do just that thing. But what we're gonna do tonight, or this morning, is we are looking at John chapter three, and I'm gonna tell you something, is that the book of John, uh, and specifically in chapter number three, we are gonna be given very clear directions from God himself, from Jesus Christ, on what the way is on how you can know that you have eternal life. Because I would, I, I would guess that some of you in this room here this morning, if you were to ask, if the question was put directly to you, are you sure if you were to die today, do you know for sure that you have eternal life? Do you know for sure that your sins are forgiven? Some of you would just say, I hope so. Maybe so. Or some of you would give an answer 
that is uh, given an answer, well, I'm pretty sure I've got eternal life because uh, this is so, such and such, or I'm doing this in my life. Shouldn't that gain me eternal life? And folks, can I tell you what the wisest thing you can do this morning is? Is to listen to what God's word says and evaluate. And as you come to the end of it, know, have I, or, or, or do I have, or do I not have eternal life. So John chapter 3 is where we're at, the third chapter of John. And this is a neat chapter because Jesus is really spends, most of this chapter is Jesus talking. If you have a Bible like mine, you've got uh, the words of Jesus in red. And Jesus is addressing a man by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus, listen very carefully. If you get to the end of John 3, you'll see this. Nicodemus was a very religious man and he was not on his way to heaven just like some of you. Some of you would classify yourself as religious. You classify yourself as, you know, religious because you might say, well, I believe in God, and I go to a Christian church of some sort. Uh, you know, I, I, I have a religious background. Good for you. This guy Nicodemus did as well. In fact, he was more religious than probably anyone in this room. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, which meant that he was a strict keeper of the law. He was someone who knew, especially the Old Testament inside and out. More than likely, Nicodemus had multiple books of the Bible memorized. He knew the scriptures, he knew the Bible, and yet he knew something. Nicodemus, as religious as he was, he realized, I am pretty sure that even though I'm super religious, I know a lot of the Bible, I'm, and, and I'm old. Nicodemus recognized, I am not sure that I have eternal life. And when he saw Jesus and recognized that this, this Jesus was more than just some kind of, uh, was, was someone important, he's someone sent from God, perhaps he thought maybe he's just a prophet or something, but he recognized that he could get the answer from Jesus. And when Jesus gave him an answer, that basically Jesus gave Nicodemus an answer that confronted Nicodemus with the fact that Nicodemus had been given wrong directions to heaven for his entire life. And Nicodemus was faced with a decision, am I going to just say, oh, I'm just going to stick with what I know? Or was he going to say, you know what, the Bible, Jesus, through the, you know, with the scriptures, has shown me what is right. So let's look, if we could, at probably the most familiar verse in the Bible that kind of gives us a summary of how you can know for sure that you have eternal life. John chapter 3, verse number 16 says, for... God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have, here it is, everlasting life. Notice, if you would, at the beginning of that verse, as Jesus has this conversation, we're not getting into the whole conversation this morning that Jesus had with Nicodemus. We're just going to focus on this one verse, verse number 16. He starts off, Jesus starts off that verse talking about, for God. 
I don't know uh, who all of you this morning, I don't know your background or where you're from, but one of the things that God wants to make abundantly clear to you this morning, uh, for, if nothing else, is that he is there, he exists, and that he is your creator. One of the things that God has done for us is that he has, um, uh, one of the things that we can do is we can look at creation around us, and God has set up the creation of, around us so that we can look at it and know there is a God. If you struggle with, uh, is there a God? Isn't there a God? One of the things that God says he has put in place to help you know that there is a God, he has put creation in place. All that you see around you, he's put in place so that you can know there is a God. Psalm, uh, Psalm 19, verse number one says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament showeth his, the firmament, the sky showeth handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech and night unto night, you hearing this? Night unto night showeth knowledge. In other words, he says, the nighttime especially is a time when you can look out and look around and you would look at just especially looking at the stars and see what's going on around you. You know that there was, here's a phrase you might have heard before, there has been, in, there is intelligence out there somewhere. And if you look at the universe around you, one of the things that you cannot get away from is that this universe is, has been designed I mean, the very, I mean, if you study enough science, and I just, you know, high school science, high school math, one of the things you will find, especially as you get deeper and deeper into science, is that the very universe is not just chaotically put together, but is built, it's really built upon mathematical formulas. That's design. When someone builds something using math, that's design. You know what design, you know, if you have design, that demands that there is a designer. Design demands a designer. You know, you just look at even our planet and how uh, our planet is, uh, you know, when it, when it spins around, you know it's not like sitting level like this. It's tipped. Our planet is tipped just a little bit. Relax, we have gravity, you won't fall off, okay? And it's tipped just a little bit at a 23.5 degree axis. And so as it spins around, of course, uh, makes its trip around the sun, uh, it's tipped at, a at that 23 and a half degree axis because if it was much, just a few degrees more, one way or the other, we would all freeze or burn up. You know, that is designed to take a big old rock like our planet and tilt it at a perfect axis, uh, at a perfect axis so that human life can exist here where it cannot anywhere else. That takes design. And design demands that there is a designer. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created, uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John chapter 1 verse 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, talking about Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him, there wasn't anything made that was made. Colossians chapter 1 says, for by Him, talking about Jesus, by Him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible, invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him, which makes perfect sense because our universe is beautifully crafted and designed. And God says he is your creator. 
That this, uh, this world did not just evolve out of, out of just uh, random cycles and random uh, things that started in some way. Folks, God says that, that he created everything that there is. He's created it all uh, with a purpose and with the mere breath of his, of, his, of his lips. By the way, just so that you know, the fact that you are made by God, that he's your creator, means that you have value. I remember listening to uh, just recently, um, uh, you know, Bill Nye, the science guy. He's, you know, a pretty hardcore evolutionist. One of the things I heard him say is that he said that basically we are all just highly formed and functioning animals. Just that you know, I eat animals. I hunt animals. Anyone else out there hunt some animals? You know, I hunt animals. I eat them. I put, uh, I put a chain around another animal's neck and keep it in my house, in my trailer, called a dog. Would you have a problem if I hunted you down, shot you, killed you, and, eat, and ate you? And that's, that's not, I'm not trying to be weird or anything. But the fact is this, why is it different? If we're just animals, why is it so different? Why would you get offended if I hunted down your spouse or if I took your, or if I took one of your, not trying to be weird, took one of your children, put a chain around its neck and kept it in my house as a pet? You say, that is disgusting. Yeah, you know why? Because we are not a product of evolution. You have been purposefully made by God. God has made you in a very special way, which means you are, uh, that God, that there is an, you're, you are important to him, but also that means if he's your creator, then you are responsible to him. Notice though what it says about our creator, our God who is so big, he can create the universe and create you and me. It says in verse 16 that God so loved the world. You know, a good thing to know this morning is that God loves you. You know, the word love there is, uh, the word love is not the word that we, you know, uh, heard a lot of last month with Valentine's Day. It's not, you know, Valentine's Day sappy love. Uh, the word love here is not like a, um, it's not a, um, you know, a boyfriend or girlfriend kind of sappy love. It's not a, a, a man and a woman who um, uh, get, get alone in, in a room together and just say, oh, we call that love. That's not what this word is. The word love here in our, in our English Bible, uh, your English uh, Bible was written originally written in Greek, translated into all the other languages we have. And the Greek word here that's translated as love is a word that means to cherish. I remember, again, I watched, watching a video of an older man. I think he was, I believe he was about 93. His wife was dying. They've been married for, you know, who knows how long, you know, probably 60, 70 years. His wife was dying. He's in the hospital and family is gathered around, and this is going to be one of her final days. And I remember watching this video of this man, this 93-year-old man with a, with a wife who's probably about the same age, and him just coming up to the bed where she is at, lean, kind of leaning, supporting himself there. And I just remember watching him reaching down and stroking her face and just saying the kindest, sweetest things to her. I remember her looking looking at him, then looking at the camera and just going, he likes me. And he would stroke her again. Someone turned on some, some song from the 40s or 50s, you know, and that was their love song 
from when they were, you know, I don't know, kids, teenagers, whatever it may have been, you know, and so they turn on this old song, and he's singing this to her as he cries, and he said, he said, I bet you had other lovers, but I think I was probably the best one, and they're just going on, just the little jokes back and forth as he strokes her face. I mean, you would have thought this was like a newlywed couple. You know what I know about that couple? That man cherished his wife. That's what God feels about you. God cherishes you. Because one of the things, maybe for you, maybe you haven't experienced a whole lot of love. You know, maybe you've had, uh, maybe you've had a spouse that has, you know, walked out on you. Maybe you've had a dad who was on drugs, a mother who was drunk. Maybe you had a friend that you loved who is uh, now has been involved in, as, in crime. Maybe you had a parent that said they loved you, but they abused you or abused your sibling. And they say, you know, and, and so you wonder what, what, what really is love? And you know what, how, I love how God describes his love for you. Romans 5, 8 says, but God commendeth. He demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet Christ died for us. God's love, focus on this word, God's love for you is unconditional. You know what that means is? God doesn't put conditions on, here's, if you do this, then I will love you. God doesn't do that. Some of you have a spouse that does. Some of you had a parent that did that. Basically, it, it, what, life was this. If you do such and such, if you please me in this way, then we'll talk about if I love you. You know what that's called? Conditional love. There's a condition. You do this, you not do this, then I'll love you. You know what God's love for you is? It is unconditional. God's love is not based on how much good you've done. God's love for you is not based on how much bad you've done. God loves you just because God loves you. And that is a wonderful thing that no matter how far, as we might say, how far off the deep end you go, no matter how good you might, your life might be, that God still loves you. And he says in verse 16, God so loved the world. That includes every last person that you can think of. Everyone is included that God loves the world. God does not love uh, good people better than bad people. God does not love a certain color of people better than another color of people. God does not love rich people better than poor people. God does not love poor people better than rich people. God does not love a certain ethnicity better than another. God does not love people in the United States more than someone else in another country. There is no one who is outside of the love of God. And that's good for us, that God would, even knowing the kind of people we are, he still loves us. He still loves us deeply, and he knows us inside and out. In fact, he loved us so much, verse 16 says, God so loved the world, says what? That he gave. God loved us so much, he gave us something very special. Now, um, People give things for different reasons. One of the reasons why someone might give something is because uh, you have a need. You ever had, anyone ever had someone give you something because you had a need? Just maybe it was a financial need. Maybe you needed a car. Someone gave, maybe just someone gave you a car. Maybe you needed a piece of furniture and someone said, here, you can have this. You have a need, I'll give this to you. You know what is neat is that every single one of us had a need that our loving God met. Our need was this, we all have a problem, and that is that we are all sinners. The Bible is very clear, folks. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And friend, if you don't think you are a sinner, you don't believe the Bible. Because the Bible says we are 
all sinners. Romans 3.10 says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And you, friend, are not the exception. And if you think that you, have, that you are not a sinner, friend, we ought to get your spouse up here and tell a few stories so that you kind of jump off your high pedestal. Because we are all sinners. All of us have done wrong. Now we might say, well, yeah, sure, I guess I've done some things wrong, Brother Matt, but I'm not as bad as fill in the blank. Folks, uh, folks, our sin, our status as a sinner is not based on, uh, it's not based on how good or bad are we based on another sinner. Our, our status as a sinner is based on are we as perfect as our perfect God? And guess what? We ain't there. We're not there. We are not as perfect as our perfect God. He is, uh, our God is someone who is holy, which means he is absolutely pure and he is absolutely separate from sin. He will not, he, he will not, he cannot sin. And, and we, though we, in spite of that, we are all sinners. And so we have a need is that God cannot allow sin into his holy heaven. See, um, uh, most normal people say, I want to go to heaven. But we want God to make us the exception that we, we, that we don't have to deal with our sin. Folks, God's not going to make an exception for anyone. That if we're going to come into God's holy, holy home called heaven, we've got to have something done with our sin because you and I have racked up an incredible debt of sin. Just, just pretend, because this is pretend. Just pretend that you sin Let's just be really good. At, let's be really nice to ourselves. Let's just say you only sin three times a day. That's pretty good for some of us. Let's just say you sin three times a day. You take 365 days a year. That's approximately 1,000 sins a year. And if you were to live 75 years, that's 75,000 sins. And that's being actually really conservative. You know, if someone was to, be, uh, was to hurt you and offend you and be unkind to you 75,000 times, do you really think you'd invite them to live with you forever? You know, we, what we've done is we have racked up an incredible debt. We have racked up an incredible debt of sin uh, that offends our holy God. And we, we, but the problem is that we cannot pay it in ourselves, uh, pay that debt of sin. We're going to see that in just a moment. So God saw our need that he gave what? He gave, it says in verse 16, his only begotten son. His only begotten son, which of course you know is Jesus Christ. Now let me, let me just help you with this, is that um, sometimes when, you know, I don't know if you've ever gotten confused on this, when you read, especially in the New Testament, and it refers to Jesus as the son of God. You know, uh, I don't know if anyone's like me and you got a little confused and you think, how, you know, not being disrespectful, but is God in heaven having children? And I'm not being disrespectful. The point is this, folks, is that you see that and you think, okay, does God have children? How does this work? Well, one of the things that you have to understand about, um, about especially um, the way language was in the New Testament, it was a very common thing for people to use the phrase son of to say the exact same thing is. For example, this is a, just kind of an illustration to kind of help us understand it. Um, you ever been told... You are the spitting image of your dad. You're the spitting image of your mom. You know, you look, what are they saying? You're essentially the same thing as. Well, that is what, when they would use the phrase son of, the idea there was is that you are the exact same image as the original. In fact, that's why over in John chapter 14, Jesus said to his disciples, if you have seen me, you've seen the father. 
Because sometimes there's even religions out there that want to say, well, Jesus was the son of God. He was like a subset of God. He was not equivalent to God. He was something else. Jesus tells us very clearly, he says, if you have seen me, you've seen the father. Exact same thing as seeing the Father. In fact, over in, um, in the book of John chapter number five, as he was, um, uh, the Pharisees, uh, as was coming, were getting upset at him and uh, because he had broken the Sabbath, but they also got upset because, um, uh, but also said also, because he said that God was his father, quote, making, he said, God is my father. Well, you think, well, don't get upset at that. He's just saying he's a subset of God. Well, no, the Jews knew he was saying, John five eighteen that he was making himself equal with God. The Jews knew when he said, God is my father, or I am the son, the image of God, Jesus was saying, I am God simply with human flesh on. Jesus was not some subset of God. He was not some kind of demigod. Jesus was God and was God with human flesh on because the human flesh was going to allow him to do, to, uh, to make atonement for our sin problem. So look at what it says. Verse number 16, it says that, um, it, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Why? So that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What does the word believe mean? Because he says that whosoever, if anyone will, quote, believe on me, he says, you won't perish and you'll have everlasting life. So, How can a person have everlasting life? Jesus says, the answer is, you must believe on me. Now, a lot of people get stuck on that word belief, and they they immediately think this. Oh, well, okay. Um, Well, I believe in God. That's what it says, right? It's what it means, right? I'm just, I believe in God. Isn't that good enough? Well, see, the problem is, you... Uh, well, you believe in God kind of, uh, uh, when you say, I believe in God, you're talking like, well, I just believe he exists and that he's out there, that he probably does stuff. But again, remember, your New Testament, written down in Greek, translated into English and all the other languages, the word, the Greek word that's translated into our Bible as believeth is a word that means to trust or to depend. Oh, 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 now we're talking a little different now because a lot of you might say, oh, well, yeah, I believe that God's out there. I believe he exists, but, but God is saying, listen, if you want to know eternal life, there's got to be more than just believing that I'm out there and that I exist. He says, you have got to depend upon me. Because what happened? Well, Jesus, he comes to this earth, he lives 33 sinless years, and then he goes to a cross, and there on the cross, he is, uh, he is beaten, he sheds his blood, and he is, as he's on that cross, you ever wondered, what's the whole point of Jesus on a cross? The point of Jesus, who was God himself on a cross, is that when he went to that cross, he was paying the debt that your sin owes. Your, the debt of your sin has racked up so high that the only penalty that could pay for your debt of sin and my debt of sin is your own eternal death in the flames of hell. Because that's how bad your sin is and that's how holy God is. But you know, God loved you. God loved you so much that he said, you know what I will do is because in order to be just and to be fair, I've got to punish these people's sins. But I love them so much that God said, you know what I'll do is I'll take my own penalty that I've got to pour out on them and I'll dump it on myself. 
And when, I, and when God, there on that cross, as God himself dumped out his own wrath upon himself as Jesus was hanging there on the cross, that's why he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And why he cried out, it is finished. Because there on that cross, the entire payment for your sin was laid on Jesus Christ. And he says, you want to know eternal life? He says, well, then it's real simple. You need to depend, trust, depend on, the, uh, depend on that my death, and with that, as we'll talk, as you'll hear next week, my burial and resurrection, that that was all that is needed to pay for your sins. Because here's the problem. Here's where the wrong directions come in a lot. Because people might say, well, I mean, I, I'm, you know, I, I think I'm going to heaven. I'm doing the best I can. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing good works. I'm doing a lot of good things. Shouldn't that pay for some sins and buy me some heaven time? God says no. You say, well, Brother Matt, my church teaches that if I do enough good things instead of bad things, that I will go to heaven. Great, you're listening to wrong directions. Can I advise you something? Hear what God's word says. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, for by grace... You are saved through faith. That's the same Greek word that means to trust or to depend. By grace, you're saved through faith and that not of yourselves, salvation is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, verse 9, not of works, lest any man should boast. Because if we could get to heaven by doing good works, boy, we could all brag. We could all talk about, look what I did. Now, some people will even think, well, uh, I do good works. I depend on Jesus, but I, basically I do all that I can and Jesus just kind of kicks in the rest and takes care of what I can't do. Folks, that is not in the Bible. But the, God's word says that if you, what does he say? If you will depend on me, you will not perish and you'll have everlasting life. He doesn't say uh, if you will do the best you can, then trust me for the rest, then you'll have everlasting life. That is not taught in the scriptures. And if you believe that, friend, you are believing something opposite of what God says is the way to have eternal life. Some people want to say, well, I'm depending on Jesus and my baptism. Folks, if you've been baptized good for you. Glad you got wet. Friend, that didn't do a thing to get you eternal life. That hasn't done a thing to get you eternal life. You study the New Testament, you will find out that the people in the New Testament got baptized after they put their dependence on Jesus Christ to save them from their sins. So salvation, eternal life, is not Jesus plus good works. It's not Jesus plus baptism. It's not Jesus plus communion. It's not Jesus plus the sacraments. It's not Jesus plus church attendance. It's not Jesus plus confirmation. It's not Jesus plus living by the Bible. It's not Jesus plus uh, maybe some of the other gods like Buddha or Confucius or Allah or Muhammad. It's not uh, Jesus plus Mary. It's not Jesus plus the Pope. It's not Jesus Jesus plus some church membership. It's not Jesus plus giving some money to church. It's not Jesus plus some saints and some priests doing some stuff for me. Acts 16.31 says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Well, you say, Brother Matt, I, I'm, you know, those sacraments and communion and confirmation and all that, that, that should get me some eternal life, doesn't it? The Bible says it doesn't. Well, my church teaches that. Friend, you have heard wrong directions. You know, Nicodemus was a man who believed that because of the good things he did, he deserved eternal life. And Nicodemus was being confronted with the fact that I'm going to have to depend 
on Jesus to have eternal life or, or else. And you know, as we put our trust and dependence on Jesus, look what he says in verse number 16. He says that whosoever believeth, dependeth on Jesus, he says, shall not perish. Friend, um, just as sure as there is a heaven, you better mark it down. The Bible teaches that there is a hell. And if you don't believe in hell, then you're calling Jesus a liar because Jesus talked all, uh, talked all kinds about, he- about hell. In fact, you know, talked more about hell than he did about heaven because it is a real place where the punishment for sinners who never depended on Jesus for their salvation, where their punishment is being paid out. You know, if you want to talk about it, you know, you want to say, well, I feel like I can pay for my own sins. I guess technically you can. You can either pay for them in eternity in hell, or you can let Jesus pay for them. You say, well, no, no, no. I'm not going to pay for them forever in hell. I'm going to pay with them with good works now. That, that, that currency don't work in heaven. That currency doesn't work in heaven. God says, you either depend on my death, my burial, my resurrection. You depend on what? The punishment that I bore on the cross as the only payment for your debt of sin or else you pay for it for all of eternity in hell. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25, then shall he say unto them on the left hand, depart from me, you're cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, and they shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto life eternal. And I think one of the most frightful things that will be a part of hell is, as Luke 16 describes, uh, gives us indication that if you die and spend eternity in hell, friend, you will be able to remember your life. And how sad that you will have to spend eternity remembering that you sat in Fellowship Baptist Church and you could have asked Jesus to be your Savior, but you said no. You said, well, I'll think about it. You said, well, I might do it later. You said, well, well, I, I'll maybe do it some other time. Folks, maybe it's a little bit too soon for this, but let's just be, let's just be blunt. You know, we almost lost our pastor here. Who knows that that couldn't have been you? And that could have ended your life. You, you know, I, I'm, I, we, we did a lot of stuff with calendar and such. I don't, you know, we shared Google Calendar. I don't remember getting hit by, getting hit by a truck and, get, and, uh, al- and almost dying being on the calendar that he shared with me about our upcoming meeting. It's not on our calendars. But folks, we don't know when we're going to die. We don't know when we will step into eternity. So he says, depend on Jesus so that you will not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5, 9 says, much more than being now justified. By his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Not through your good works, not through your baptism, not through your communion, not through your sacraments. Romans 5 says we shall be saved from wrath through him. And I'll tell you what, Jesus has saved uh, religious people who had to admit that their religion was not bringing them to heaven, but had to depend on Jesus. Jesus saved, uh, you could say, the worst of sinners. He saved thieves and prostitutes and all kinds, uh, you know, tax collectors who were traitors to the Jewish government. He saved all kinds of people. And I'm going to tell you this, he can save you. If you will be willing today to call upon the name of the Lord, Romans 10, 13 says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, this, this, and this, 
this and then we'll close. I want you to just pretend, and this kind of, you kind of have to put on your pretend hat for this. I want you to just pretend uh, that you're at home and you're by yourself. And again, this is pretending, but uh, let's just say that you, some kind of weird situation happens. You slip, you fall, and, you, and you're in your kitchen, you're preparing supper, you slip and you fall, you fall on a knife. You start to bleed out. Well, what are you going to do? Well, um, thankfully, you still have your cell phone in your pocket, so you reach into your phone. Who are you going to call? You're going to call 911. And what's going to happen? Uh, you know, th- there's going to be a group of paramedics, either in a fire truck or in, a, or in an ambulance. They're going to come to your place where you tell them to come, and they're going to, they're going to rescue you. They're going to save your life. Now, when you pull out that phone, um, you really could call anyone. You could call grandma, but grandma can't do much to save you. You could call tech support over in India, but they're not going to be able to do much to save your life. There's only really one, person, one group that really is qualified to get there in a few moments of time and can save your life, and that's the paramedics. So what happens is, you know, the paramedics get there, they come in, they see the situation, and either they're at the place or possibly more likely in the hospital, they remove the knife, they stop the bleeding, and they save your life. And you know, uh, who, in, in that scenario, who saved your life? Well, it was the paramedic. Paramedic was the one who saved your life. There really was nothing you could do. In fact, the only thing you did to contribute to the situation was fall on the knife. And you know something, though? You had to make a call. And I'll tell you what needs to happen this morning, I think, is there's some of you that need to do like Romans 10, 13 says, is you need this morning to call upon the name of the Lord and ask him to save you. And Romans 10, 13 promises that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, cry out for help, he says he shall be saved. God doesn't say go clean up your life and then, cry, and then uh, put your dependence on me. Then call out for help. No, God doesn't do that. He's way too loving and kind to make us do that. He says, hey, you put your dependence on me and I'll save you. Now, like I said, Some of you have been given wrong directions to eternal life. And you really are faced with decision time right now. Are you or aren't you going to put your trust in Jesus Christ alone to save you from your sins? Let me tell you what I hear a lot from adults. I hear this all the time, and it really drives me nuts. People will say, uh, this is the one I hear the most, the most on this, is uh, when they hear something like that, you talk to them about how you've got to depend on Jesus. Have you ever done that? And they, sometimes they'll just say, well, no, I really haven't. Well, don't you want to do that? And then they'll say this, well, I've always been fill in the blank with a denomination. I heard this all the time. Well, I've always been Catholic. That's nice. Put your trust in Jesus Christ alone to be your Savior. I, I grew up, uh, a part of my life grew up in Wisconsin. I heard this one a lot. Well, I've always been Lutheran. That's nice. Put your trust on Jesus to save you from your sins today. Well, I've always been whatever. Folks, God is, I think, knocking at some of your hearts. And God has shown you from his word, the Bible, that maybe you're sitting here this morning and you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior. You need to do that today. In fact, one of the things we're going to do right now is we're going to have something we call the invitation where I'm going to invite you 
to ask Jesus to be your Savior. Now, what I think is really important is that you, some of you might have final questions of things you don't understand. So what we're going to do is in just a moment, I'm going to tell you what we're going to do and then we'll do it. In just a moment, we're going to bow our heads and close our eyes. And when we do that here in just a moment, just like we're praying, um, I'm going to ask for a show of hands if you would say, uh, you know what? I'm not sure that my sins are forgiven. I'm not sure if I have eternal life, but I, I want to get that nailed down. I want to call on the name of the Lord today. And you know what we're going to have? We're going to have counselors. I'm going to ask if it's okay at the, back of the, at the back of the church. Pastor Phil will have counselors there. If you're a lady, you'll get set up with a lady. A man gets set up with a man who has already asked Jesus to be their Savior. They can answer last questions, and they can pray with you to help you ask Jesus to be your Savior. But friend, uh, it's decision time if you're going to do that. Some of you are going to gamble with your life and walk out if you're saying, well, maybe I'll wait. Friend, don't do that.